part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've been here for uh, kind of off and on for the last couple of weeks, you know that we are taking a slight departure from our methodical journey through James. We've worked our way all the way up to the, the last chapter of James, and we'll finish that in, in the weeks to come. But we've been looking for the last four weeks at life lessons that every child needs to learn. And uh, there, there's really, I'll be honest, there's a dual purpose in that because your parents and your grandparents, and so this is of interest of you. And yet... <laughs> As adults, we still need to remember every one of these lessons that we've been instructing to our children. And so over the weeks, we've been learning that first week about choices and consequences, that when we make choices in life, that there are consequences. And yet we said that very first week that we live in a culture that kind of wants to take you know, that, that aspect away from it, kind of when it takes that part away from it so that all of a sudden we, we fall into this thing that we see so prevalent in our culture today that we're victims. It's not my fault, it's everybody else's fault. In fact, that is going to be a thread that you see in each one of these, that, that without the balance of God's word, if we don't see the responsibility that God calls us to, to this holy life, then folks, we kind of resort back to this human nature that says, okay, I'm just a victim here. Man, society is against us. My parents are against me. My boss is against me. And we kind of fall into that trap that we're just kind of victims. And here's the bad thing about victimization. Satan loves to perpetrate that lie because if we're victims then we don't have to be responsible because it's always somebody else's fault. So that first week we began to look at that and about how teaching our kids choices and consequences and how that's really tough because there's a nature within every daddy's heart, mama's heart, but especially a mama's heart to throw that pillow underneath them when they fall so that they don't hurt themselves. You know, sometimes dads, we're, we're a little bit tougher. Well, good couple good scratches, good for the boy until it comes to our girls. It's like, okay, throw that pillow underneath there in a blanket too. You know, because we just don't want to see harm come to our kids. So we get this, and yet the Bible teaches us, teach them responsibility and choices and consequences. The second week, we began to look at how to deal with failure. It doesn't mean that we're a failure when we do things that don't succeed, but we began to look in God's Word, and we said, okay, you know, the culture says, man, there's great acclaim in being fastest, smartest, tallest, this, that, and the other. But last time I checked, there was only one gold medal, There was only one fastest. There was only one smartest. And and so a lot of life we have to deal with. What if I come in second or third or last? How do I deal with that? Not just in a human responsibility way. How do I deal with that biblically? What does the gospel say about that? How does the word of God command me to deal with those times that I didn't get the job, that somebody else, even though I thought that they weren't as deserving as me, they didn't have as much, you know, time with the company. They didn't have the experience. And yet somehow because they were the uncle, you know, the... uh, the daughter or the son or the uncle's favorite, they got the job and I got passed by. Last week we looked at a, a pretty tough one, pretty relevant to where we live today, respect for authority. We began to look at how that's really difficult. And we we're going, you know, do you, are you sure in Romans 13 and, and, and Peter, when Peter said submit to authority, the authorities are out there, that, that there is no authority except what God has established or at least allowed. And we think about it in the context of the day that we live and we're going... I don't know this still applies. And then we had to bring ourselves all the way back to see what Peter and Paul were writing under. Paul was writing in the context of the Roman government. I mean, do I have to remind you how the Jewish people felt about the Roman government? 
how they were always after Christ to overthrow the government. They really didn't care if he came and died on the cross. They just wanted the Romans out of town. I mean, that was their whole thing. That's why they rejected and rebelled against Christ. It's really one of the motivations why they said, crucify him, crucify him. Because he didn't play the game of getting the Romans out of town. Peter, this one that was always so difficult to submit, when he writes in First Peter, first word, submit to the authorities. We were talking in life group this morning, and I said, you know, I think that he probably wrote that down and then held up the sign, because I think it was hard for Peter to say that word, submit. Because that just wasn't his personality until we see Christ come in and take dominion over his life. Folks, everything that I stand for, the gospel, and that God has given us this life in him through grace, could be torn apart if we begin to look at these lessons as moralistic achievements that gain God's favor. We are Christians, not because we do the right things. And God says, good job. But because there was one, Christ Jesus, that did the right job. All of us have sinned. The Bible says all of us and all of us have fallen away. And we all stand in need of the Savior. And that's what Christ has done. And yet when we begin to look at these life lessons for children, it's, it's easy to look at the moralistic side and not really get the spiritual basis. And, and so this morning we're going to come back. And, and I think it's a, a pretty much a subject that everybody, every parent or grandparent can identify with. And that is teaching our children that it's not all about them. Have you been there? <laughs> I mean, we get that when they're born, they're dependent, totally dependent upon us. And so whether it's a dirty diaper, an empty stomach, or just the fear of being alone, we understand that a baby cries out. But can every parent remember, especially mamas, can you remember the first time that it wasn't because of a dirty diaper, it wasn't because of a hungry stomach, and it wasn't because it was just fearful. It was just because they were ready to show you who was boss. Do you remember that moment? And you're that son or that daughter, and you're going, well, there's a little bit of spirit in this guy. He kind of wants his way, and you'd put him down and said, okay. Or have you done this when you're ready to, to put the child down into bed, and they didn't want to go to bed? And all of a sudden, you begin to find out, man, that old boy, that little girl's wound up pretty tight there. And you found out that there's what's true of all of us, but we just see it so clearly in pictures like that that there's this rebellious spirit that says, you know, I really don't want to listen to authority. I, I really don't want it somebody else's way. I want it my way. We live in a culture, folks, that is very, very kid-centric. I love kids. I, I, I promise you, I will not do anything today that satisfies my heart than what I just did with Asher. I mean, they're, they're, that's my high for the day. I love kids. And yet we live in a culture that is very kid-centric. And, and folks, I, I'm telling you, we are to love our kids. We're certainly to train them up. We're to do all these things. You know, those, that's, that goes without saying. But we've got to be very, very careful of giving in to what this natural heartbeat that, hey, man, the whole world revolves around me. Because the last time I checked, it's, it's not healthy. More importantly, it's not biblical. From the very beginning, God cries out that there's one purpose for you and I to be alive. There's one purpose for this creation to exist, and that is for His glory. Everything about you has been created for the glory of God. You're, you're not here just so you can have a happy life and 
try to, to live out 80 or 90 or 100 years. I mean, that's great. And that's part of God's blessing that, that he gives us those things. But you were created with one purpose. Everyone in here, whether you walk with God or, or you don't even know God, I promise you, you were created with one purpose. And that purpose is to bring glory to God. It's really not about me. It's not about you. It really is all about him. And yet, because of the fall, And we always come back to Genesis chapter 3. God created Adam and Eve, and and in that independent spirit, in that spirit of of saying, I kind of want it my way, they decided to rebel against God. And in that rebellion came the fall. Sin came into the world. And from that moment on, every one of us had been born with a sin nature. Every one of us had been born with, with that kind of attitude that, okay, I'm not pleased right now. And every one of our affections, our our desires kind of point to self-satisfaction. I'm not saying that we live that out 24-7. Certainly we can be kind to others and we can serve others and we can do that. Even lost people, the people that don't know Christ, can learn to love other people and help other people. I'm not saying that just because of Christians that all of a sudden we change our gear. I'm just saying that inward motivation, that core nature, When I wake up first thing in the morning, my default, I believe biblically, your default is pretty much me. Not not you, me. You, yourself. (laughs) I don't think you're sitting there in your bed first thing, oh yeah, it's all about body. (laughs) Now, actively, the first conscious thought that we can have that day is to say, okay, God, you know, you've bought me with a price. You've given your son to die in my place. He exchanged my sins for his righteousness. And so, God, I am going to live as best as I can this day. I, I just, I want to exalt you. I want to bring glory to you. That's why I was exi- I am in existence, is to bring you glory. And my desire this day is to bring you glory. And so we can live differently than this old nature because of the work of Christ. But how do we teach our kids, whether they have come to know Christ or whether they have not yet come to that point of trusting Christ to their Savior. How do we teach our kids this biblical principle that it's really not all about them, especially in a culture that is probably more kid-centric than ever before? Open your Bibles again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. As we kind of unfold these two verses, I'll be the first to tell you that Paul was not writing these to parents in child rearing. That, that wasn't the context of it. Paul, Paul was writing this in the context that his ministry was coming under fire. There were a lot of people that said, you know, we don't really know that you're really an apostle. We don't know that you have the authority to teach. We don't really think that you're one of God's chosen to teach us. And, and so they were kind of throwing these insults. They were kind of not really thinking that he was a valid apostle. And in one way, these words are a response, a defense against that. And yet I think they fit perfectly into what we need to to see today. Because it calls for us to die to self. Remember what our vision for 2016, our verse for 2016 is? Mike, I know I'm switching out on you. You just went to that because I said that. But can you put Galatians back on there, Galatians 2.20? Folks, this is what we've been looking at all year long. We've been trying all year long to put this focus on this to be our heartbeat. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Folks, that's not just a future tense for heaven. That's written in a way that that applies today. That Christ wants us to die to self and to live for him. And yet, again, let's just be honest. There is that motivation within us that we kind of point our our affections and our desires and and our heartbeat toward what's best for us. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to get caught up in your own little world? The drama, the details, all those kind of things. I I mean, there's not a person in here. Please understand that you're not alone. There's not a person in here this morning that does not have the abundance of drama in their life right now. Different levels. It could be a health issue. It could be a family issue. It could be son or daughter. It could be you know, agendas that are there. And, and there's not a person in here that doesn't have an overabundance of details in their life. That they're thinking, okay, my goodness, just next week I have this, 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 and this. As collectively, as human beings, we, we share that we live in a rapid-paced society and there's a lot of things firing all around us. And so part of the survival that kind of comes to this nature is, okay, I need to be on top of it, so it's got to be about me. I mean, I understand how we get that way, but it's one of those things. Let me prove this to you. Has there ever been a world event that happened, and you go into work, school, grocery store, whatever it is, you're going out there, and people are talking about this world event that happened like two days ago, and you're clueless that it happened? Have you ever, has that ever happened? Because you've been so wrapped up in your world and all the drama of your world and all the details of your world that you're going, what? There was, China just took over Russia? <laughs> I didn't hear that, you know? And it, I mean, a big thing that happened and yet it escaped you because kind of just out of trying to survive, you got into your own little world. So do you understand that we have two strikes against us kind of when we get to the plate? One is the sin nature that says, man, it's all about me. And we learn that from birth and first breath. And then we live in this rapid-paced world where we're going, man, I'm just trying to survive. And in order to survive, okay, I'm going to have to close out all these other things that may distract me so that I can put my attention on how do I just survive, maybe even thrive in this environment. And so when the challenge comes from Christ that I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live but only Christ Jesus lives in me. Folks, we can say, and it sounds so spiritual, and it is the right thing, and yet, can you imagine that it doesn't take a whole bunch for us to kind of put up a a rebellion, a defense against that, if we're really honest? It's where Paul was. Paul wanted us to know that, uh, even though he's given a defense for his ministry, he wanted everybody to know, hey, guys, this, this is not about me. Here we are trying to teach our children that it's not about them. And you and I are battling that same battle ourselves. So how do we teach when we're still being taught? How do we get away? I mean, have you ever caught yourself saying, well, I just need some me time. Has anybody ever if you had said that or at least thought it? Yeah. And, and there's an aspect of that that is healthy. But think about where that's really coming from, too. This need for self. 
I'm not saying it's totally unholy and that, that having some time away. In fact, at the very end, I'm going to justify very much date nights for parents and for marriages and all those kind of things because that helps our kids find out, hey, they're not just the only ones that exist. Mom and dad exist and they want a healthy marriage. And so uh, you're going to hear me say, hey, get some me time and some we time and all that. It's very important to a marriage. But that nature, if not corralled by the gospel, can run rampant. Can just run rampant. Second Corinthians chapter five, again the context. Uh, the apostle Paul trying to defend his apostleship, trying to say, okay, I, God has called me. This is where I am. And uh, uh, yet we see that Paul had the same capacity for pride. He has the same bent toward self that everybody else has. And, and yet Paul shows us Christian maturity in this passage by something that is solidly gospel-centered, Christ-centered in his response. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he has died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We're going to kind of pick out three thoughts from that passage. Two words there in verse 14, where Paul uses them strategically to, to kind of teach us. He's the first thing he says, for the, life, uh, for the love of Christ controls us. It doesn't just command us. It's not the law of Christ. He says the love of Christ. That, that word control is a very interesting word, and, and please hear this. Listen really close. The word means to press or an action that results from pressure. If you were going to blow up a tire or a balloon and you started to pump that and the, the pressure and that balloon started to expand, that's kind of the action of this word, that there's an action and kind of a reaction that results from that action. The pressure of that pump puts air into that tire or air into that balloon. And what Paul is saying here, he says, the love of Christ controls us. That word controls us. It pressures us into something. But don't hear that word pressure as strong arm tactic. He's not talking about the police state. He's not talking about a militaristic sense. He's not saying, okay, because God loves us, we have to do this. That is not what he's saying. It's not the tense that he's using. It's not the words that he's using. What he says is, when I begin to understand how much Christ really loves me, it just kind of compels me to go do this. Not because I'm forced to, because it just comes out. And it begins to control my life. The, the pressure of this, in the positive sense of that word pressure, motivates me to do this. Let, let me give you an example. Have you ever been and just seen a sunset or a sunrise? And your heart, I mean, you just kind of sit there and go, wow. It's not like somebody just said, okay, this is a thing of beauty. This is part of God's creation. He's showing us what he has created. And so you are to exclaim in an appropriate way your pleasure. No, you just observe the beauty of what God has created. You observe the beauty. I mean, I, I kind of had that moment when we had today with Asher and his brother. You know, his brother gets up there to read scripture. And I'm going, yes, this is just good. In your heart, I, nobody has to say, well, you know, Pastor, it would be appropriate if you said right now that that's a really cool thing. 
No, just the joy of seeing a brother love on another brother that way. And to have them risen in, in Christ and to see them motivated in Christ. My heart, not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a daddy and I, I see those kids and I'm going, that is great. Nobody motivates you. That's what Paul's talking about here. This control, this, the, the love of Christ, not the law of Christ. The love of Christ controls us in the sense that it, it, it kind of causes this reaction in our life. It just makes you happy. I did a wedding yesterday, and part of the wedding asked the question, have you committed yourself to Christ? Have you trusted in Christ? As your Lord and Savior asked each one. And uh, they both responded, yes. And I said, you know, that changes everything. The whole rest of the service has changed because you're not just coming in the eyes of the law. You're not just coming in the eyes of of man. You're coming today because as committed Christians, you're committing your lives in this covenant relationship together. It changes everything. And just the joy in their faces as they made that proclamation of their love for one another, not just a romantic love, even though they had that romantic love. And even though they were just really excited about, man, we're getting married. When this preacher gets done, we're Mr. and Mrs. But the joy of what God had built up in their heart. I mean, you could see it on the faces of all of the ones that were there. Especially the Christians that were kind of sensitive to that and said, man, this is really great. This isn't just another marriage. This isn't just another wedding. This truly is one of those situations where we see the gospel being lived out. That's what Paul says. This is an act of worship, folks, and sometimes spontaneous worship and not of duty. But there's a second thing that we see in this scripture here. He says, because we have concluded this. Okay? For the love of Christ controls us, it motivates us, it kind of pressures in the positive sense. There's a, the positive reaction of the love of Christ. We're just kind of compelled to go do this. And he said, why? Because we have concluded this. What has he concluded? That one has died for all. The very gospel message that Christ has died in our place is, is what kind of prompted this. Now, that may seem like a really simple argument. You might say, well, Bobby, you know, you're not telling me anything that I haven't known. And yet, that one simple thing escapes so many people. And it can escape you. I don't care if you've grown up in the church or not. It can escape you. Do you do the things that you do because you feel it's the duty of the Christian? Or because Christ's love controls you? And now that truth of that Christ would take your place now compels you. And you've concluded that in your mind. And it's with that joy that you go out and serve Jesus Christ. Folks, there's a big difference. Oftentimes we always come back to the marriage relationship to kind of illustrate the the Christian relationship. I, I mean, very much we can be obedient husbands and wives. And, and we can say, by the law, okay, you signed up for this duty. And we can say that wife to husband and husband to wife. What a really kind of flat marriage that would be. What, what kind of a unexciting, you know, that, it's not really the kind of the romantic, loving, covenant relationship that we want. No, I'm compelled to, to serve my wife. Why? Because I love her. And because of her love for me. And, and so that kind of controls me. And, and then I get, see God's word, how this is a picture of the gospel. And because of that truth, it, it kind of excites me that much more. We get to be a demonstration of what the gospel looks like. Does that make sense to you this morning? 
that we don't do this out of tradition. We don't do this out of, you know, hopefully not out of habit in the sense of, okay, it's just the thing to do. But because of the truth of what God has done in our hearts and our lives, that Christ has come and he's died in our place, that out of the joy of that, out of the love of what Christ has demonstrated, we just want to live for him. And that begins to control us. It begins to, uh, we draw this conclusion. And we come to this place where we begin to see that this conclusion then leads into action. Because Christ has done this, and we've concluded that it's truth, now what are we to do? Verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sight died and was raised. We begin to see in, in this picture that because of the love of Christ it, and we concluded the truth that it compels us to go do something and that is to die to self and, and to live for others. Folks, that's the only real antidote, antidote that the Bible ever gives to the selfishness that is at the core of our nature. Hey, it doesn't say, well, you just train them up. You, you restrict them. You tell them it's not all about them. You spank it out of them. I mean, the Bible would say, you know, don't you know, spare the rod and you're going to spoil the child. I mean, there's a lot of other things that the Bible says about how we discipline our children. But there's never an answer to this nature that says, I want it my way. There's no other biblical answer that we find anywhere except for the truth that Christ died for us. And that because of his death for us, when we bring that conclusion and we really see that as rock-solid theology and truth in our life, it compels us then to die to self. It's the only reason the Bible ever gives. So if we miss that part of it and we think, okay, this is how you're a good person or this is the right thing to do, folks, that energy is only going to last so long. But when we understand, man, Christ has preceded me in this death. I mean, that's why I think it's so important that when we have baptism, that we understand. Is it kind of a symbolic washing away sense? In a, in a way, it is. But more so, it's an identity that we have, that Christ died and rose again. And now, our new identity, Asher, as he comes, has died to the old way, and he's risen in Christ. And this is his new identity. That's what Paul is saying. That this new identity compels us not to put ourselves first. And that's the task and the call as Christian parents to to point our children in this truth. Folks, we have no ability to save our kids. We have no ability to to give salvation to our kids. And, And yet, it is the call of the gospel to every parent, especially Christian parents, for us to point our kids in the direction of the cross and to see their need for Christ. We can't make it happen we can do everything we can to point them in that direction. One of my favorite authors is Paul David Tripp. He just writes wonderfully well because he, he really kind of knows the whole human psyche. He gets humanity, and, and yet he never leaves the Scripture out. I mean, he's always using the Scripture and the Gospel as his guide. And he's just come out with a new book. If you're a parent, young or old, I, I, I would encourage you to get it. It's, it's called Just Simply Parenting. And it is a great book because it really comes back and it, it kind of gives this instruction about how do we lead our children? How do we kind of point them toward this? Not that we can save our kids, but, but how can we kind of point them in a direction? 
And one of the things that he says there is, he said, nothing in chapter 1, and he talks about the calling of the parent, he says, nothing is more important in your life than being one of God's tools to form the human soul. I mean, you can't save your kids. But nothing, I promise you, you have kids, nothing is more important than God using you as a tool to show them the beauty of the cross. Showing them that the only hope that they have is, is life in Christ. And one of the first ways that we practically do that, even when they're very young, is to teach them, hey, it's not all about you. That's a tough, counterintuitive, countercultural thought process. Husbands, wives, you don't have to raise hands, you don't have to point, you don't have to smile at one another. Have you ever been on different sides of that fence? One going, well, she doesn't mean it like that. We need to, you know, just be a little bit softer. And maybe the sky going, huh, it's not the school I went to. I went to the school of hard knocks. Got the diploma in the other room. Or sometimes, I mean, that's how it kind of falls out for a lot of families, but sometimes it's the other way. Mom's going, let him burn. Let him, let him fall. Scratches and all. Dad's going, no, it'll probably cost too much. To, you know? <laughs> and so sometimes, even though we want the success of our children, we want them to grow up mature, and especially mature in Jesus Christ, we find division in how we're going to handle even the simple practical things. Let me end today. I want you to know that, folks, your children will not remain without a culture to influence them. There will be a culture to influence them. The biblical call, our church's desire, is that we develop a culture here to point your kids to live for the glory of God. That's why we started a three-year program of just going through the Scriptures, starting in Genesis and seeing the Gospel in every book of the Bible. That's why men and women are back there dedicating their time and their efforts this morning, saying, okay, we want to teach the kids about the glory of God, that it's all about Him. And as we begin to do that, we pray that God will open up their minds, that they will see their need for Christ, that at an early age they would come and confess that Christ is the only way that they can truly have forgiveness in their life. That all sounds so spiritual, but guys, it is spiritual. That's why it sounds spiritual. It really is. I mean, honestly, is the battle in your children's heart, for your children's heart, is it a spiritual battle or is it a cultural battle? Certainly culture is fighting for it. But would you not agree that it's a spiritual battle who has your child's heart and mind? The culture will fight for it. The culture will, will have, you know, this player will play into that. But it's a spiritual battle. So how do we be, fight spiritual battles? Spiritually. The Word of God. We get back to the basics. Yeah, guys, this, this isn't one of those sermons where you kind of go home and you go, okay, man, that was also new. I, I hope that this is review. I hope that this is a repeat of, of something that you constantly are hearing in your mind, in your heart, because that means you're in a good place in church, or it means you're listening to a lot of right things. But this isn't rocket science. It really is just as biblical as Genesis to Revelation. 
where God has said, as parents, you have this responsibility of raising these boys. And you just point, point them to me. Point their need to me. How can you do this? Let me give you three uh, kind of practical ways. Number one, have you come to Paul's conclusion personally? You know, remember what he said? He said, the love of Christ controls me because this truth that he talked about, that Christ had died for him, he said, it's convinced me. Are you walking in that conviction and, and that action of your life? You're going, man, I just, you know, man, I'm not the perfect Christian, but I know that God has given his son to die in my place. And you're just living that out. But that's kind of step one because it's hard to teach, you know, what you haven't caught. It, it really is kind of difficult to do that. And, and so this morning, are you compelled to no longer live for self? Not that you ace the test and that you get it all right. We all have our moments. Today at 4.30, the Falcons game will be on, and I'm going to have some me time, okay? I, I mean, I just... Now, if something happens, if you need something, call, and I'll get Jeff to come and Bradley right over, and, you know, man, they will take care of you in a moment. <laughs> Jeff came in at that moment, <laughs> of course. Now, are, are we living it out? The, the greatest motivation in a child's life is to see something that their parents are passionate about. One of our young families yesterday had a video on Facebook of their little daughter. Kind of with a, uh, the bulldog chant and, and going for the bulldogs and everything. Now, why did she pick that up? They weren't sitting there, okay, here's, say this. Now, t- you know, take, you know, bark like a dog now. You know, it, didn't say that, no. She sees the passion in her parents' lives for something that they're passionate about. And what does a kid of one or two or three do? They just become passionate about that. So number one is, this, is your personal walk. That's, that's the beginning of really teaching your kids is your own personal walk. Number two, continually find ways to point them to think of others instead of self. And this is a point that Okay, if you do this just in the moral sense, without the spiritual sense, I have totally failed. Because all you've done is created a moral person. That's good. But without that spiritual part, the gospel part, it's just moral action. But find things like I serve. Um, Today, Operation Christmas Child. You can do a Christmas box and send it to a kid uh, on the other side of the world. Teach your kids. Have meaningful moments. Uh, Mom, you don't just go to the store and you get all the things and you put it in the box and you send it off. Let your kids go to the store. Help them to pick out things. Hey, what do you think a little boy in Africa or a little boy in, in Asia would like? And, and, and let them put that in there and let them really get in their mindset why they're doing this and participate. Uh, teach them respect for authority like we said last week. That's part of this whole thinking of others instead of sin, uh, sense. And simple things like respect at a restaurant. That waiter or waitress, yes, their job is to serve you, but you show them respect. You know, if you treat them like the hired servant, your kids learn that. All of a sudden, well, my glass is empty. I haven't had tea in a long time. They learn that. That's just the girl. That's just the guy trying to get through school, trying to feed their family. We show respect to people. I mean, I, I, I've been irritated with the empty glass before, you know, and it's like, okay, where's the waitress? 
But as we, you know, those are just simple learning times, guys. That's real life times when we're teaching our kids, this world isn't all about you. Last thing, actively direct them from being the center of everything. Strongly endorse date nights for spouses. I mean, my girls are here today, so they can, I, I won't embarrass you, but, but they, Carly and I would always take a trip, whether it's just a couple days or maybe five days or even a week. Uh, we would try to do that once a year. And when they got old enough to know that we were going to this really nice place or going on a cruise or something like this, and they, had been, they wanted to go. And, and it really was those first couple times, well, maybe every time, we kind of had to explain, no, this is time for mom and I. And you might think, well, what's the significance? It's showing them they are important. We love them. We take very seriously our job of training them up. But they're not the center of everything. It's really easy to fall into that, guys. Especially if you're young parents, it is so easy to fall into that. Why? Because you love your kids. Because they're high demand. Because of all these different things. Yes, I realize the truth of all that. But I promise you, one of the greatest gifts that you can give them is a Christ-centered marriage and an equipped marriage. And if you give them that, uh, you know, a happy model there of, of husband and wife, then they will learn a couple things. Number one, they will learn that they're not the center of attention every single moment, 24-7. And they will learn also then how to raise their children. It just kind of trickles down like that. Um, date nights with siblings. Uh, I, I don't know why y'all just both happen to be here, but I, I do remember... Uh, I would have breakfast sometimes with my oldest daughter. And you probably don't even remember this, Bethany, but uh, you didn't like that too much. That, that Ashley and I were having breakfast, even though we would go have our breakfast at another time. And uh, I think that's important. If you have multiple children, do things together with their children. But a real practical way of just teaching them that, okay, you're not the center of everything every moment of the day is have date night with one. And then date night with the, the other one, you know, or breakfast or something like this. Does that make sense? It seems so little. But guys, what we're doing is practicing really that what the Bible tells us from the very beginning. It's really not all about us. It's all about Him. Spiritual foundation, practical application of teaching our kids that need for Christ. And the only antidote that the Bible has ever given is the one that Paul said until he came to that convincing in his heart and mind. And then the love of Christ compelled him and controlled him. He said, without that, I'm not willing to die myself. I want to fight for myself. But when I understand what Christ has done for me, I'm willing to die for self so that he can live for me for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, this death to self, we talked about it all year in different applications. Now, Father, we see it in the role of parenting, how easy it is for us to become so kid-centric. Father, that's not evil, but it may not be healthy. Father, in in certain cases, it's just not going to be biblical. And Father, as much as we think that maybe we're showing great love to our kids, Father, perhaps we're not really balancing them and preparing them, Father, for the realities of life. So, Father, today, will you help us to to make those tough decisions? Will you help us to to have the wisdom to to know how to totally love our kids, how to totally involve ourselves in their maturing and their growing, and yet, Father, teach them even the difficult lessons? Father, I pray for the parents in here today. 
I really cannot think of a time in history that I've seen that culture puts so much emphasis and kind of just being kid-centric. And Father, I'm not trying to be mean or judgmental, but Father, you said the parents are to, to lead the house. Father, when we get in these situations and the lines of the authority and, and all that is, is kind of great, Father, we're just in violation of what you have prescribed for us that brings about a, a good life, a healthy life, a godly life. So, Father, I, I pray for parents today. Give them wisdom. Give them practical measures of how to instruct their children here. But, Father, most and foremost, I, I pray that they would understand what Paul was talking about that when he said that your love, the love of Christ, controlled his life, that, Father, that we would really begin to get that. That, Father, we would really understand what it is to have a life controlled by this grace that you have given us, this wonderful gift that you have given us, that you would give your only son to die in our place so that we might have life Father, teach us. Teach us these important lessons. And Father, help it to all start and stay at the foot of the cross. Help us to run after you passionately today, Father. Help us to to fulfill why we were created. That, Father, this very day that we will give you glory because you are so deserving of glory and honor. We love you and we thank you. Now, during this decision time, Father, we just we, we end with this song as a confession of our heart, as a profession of the truth that we've seen in your word this day. We love you and we thank you. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.